Welcome to the 6am Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6am Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6amrun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you a part of the show with us. We have a good one for you today. As always, before we start talking to Nico, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to the website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order. So I'm really looking forward to to this conversation. I think we have a, a unique individual and I'm, you know what I, I could say a lot about him. Um, he, he is into, as he says, full intensity living and turning stress into your competitive advantage. But Nico Verison, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go and just introduce yourself for our audience? Well, well, I'm Nico, like you, you just said. Uh, and I'm uh, originally from Belgium, but I have been traveling the world for a long time now. Uh, I lived as a professional fighter for mm, 12 years until uh, I detached my retina seven times. And so it was just a moment that I had a contract in, an upstate, in upstate New York, Ithaca. Uh, I was going to do ultimate fighter and everything collapsed after a medical check. So it was... It was a very rough moment, but actually there was a lot of gold in it because I realized that Rocky was stupid. <laughs> I mean, if if you really I, I believe, can't, I can't disagree with it. I can't exactly. disagree with you. I mean, yeah. I mean, no matter how hard you get hit, you keep on going forward. That's not smart. And I was that. Literally, I was Rocky, and so. I had the potential to become a legend in my sport and I failed. Why? Because I forced my body into overtraining. So low testosterone levels back then. Uh, getting hit in the head because I liked it. I liked that, that, that's grind. And after a knockout, I, I went in back much too soon. And so literally my fighter spirit fought my potential. And then, you know, I, I went through a real period of being absolutely lost because my entire identity was caught into my being a fighter. I mean, I gave up my academic career. I was wor working as an assistant professor in a research methodology in psychology. I was doing research to quality of life and the impact of intimate relationships. So it was all very interesting. I still think it's interesting, but I just chose to go for my passion, which was fighting. And, uh, and then slowly but surely I started working with some athletes to help them raise their performance. But I wanted to devise a system where you don't just grind it. And so I came up with performance planning. Now, I don't mean to cut you off, but, I, but 
you know, there's so many people who, who in their sport, and it doesn't have to be their sport, but in their life, they, they, they see a goal and they become very goal minded. They become, they, they set these goals and all they, they have tunnel vision and they see it and they just keep going for it and going for it and going for it. And it doesn't matter what their body's been through. Doesn't matter what their mind has been through. Doesn't matter if it hurts to wake up in the morning, if they have knees are aching, if they detached a retina. Like all they see is that goal. Was that was that you for for a lot of your life? Sacrificed everything. I sacrificed the women I loved. Uh, everything. Everything had to make you. Uh, now there is something to it, you know. Uh, a hyper focus. Well, it's just something I do. I go into hyper focus or nothing. It's all or nothing with me. And so it's also part of my personality and the, the personality of a lot of people I work with. So there's nothing wrong with it per se. What changed was a certain moment I got a very heavy knockout. And there, instead of the grind from before, it became something else. So before I was enjoying the grind. Like David Goggins, he takes to a whole other level. His knees are blown out. And he still runs and, and he shows the power of, of, of mind. Now, I like that because he also has a good relationship with his, uh, his, his uh, wife and all these other things. However, however, for most people, they will not like that. They don't want to like that. Now, to be honest, I think there is something to it because it's very closely related to that Rocky mindset. But again, if that's good if you want to just push yourself. But if you want to get excellent results, top results, that's a whole other story. Because, for, for example, a professional athlete doesn't get paid to train. No, no, no. He gets paid to rest. And, you know, I, hear, hearing you speak, and, and because you are, you were a, a Muay Thai champion, um, elite MMA fighter. Yes. Um, you have, those are, those are the type of sports. And, and I want you to talk about this where people most of the time see the end product. They see, they may see the flashy part of it. They may see the big knockouts. They may see the blood, the gore, the, all that stuff in the ring, but they don't see the preparation. They don't see the mindset. They don't see things like that. And, and can you kind of talk about, because you've been at that level where you're elite, but people don't see the work that you put into it. And people don't see how how focused you have to be and how you have to have your mind, not just your body right, but you have to have your mind right at the same time. Can you kind of talk about your preparation? You've already mentioned how the hyper focus, but what was your training like how did you take care of your body and how did you take care of your mind? I didn't take care of my mind. <laughs> That's old school. The old school martial artists, artists were go hard. Sparring was hard, harder than many of my fights. Which is, of course, was the mentality and, and it has some point, but again, it stops you getting to your full potential. Now you, and it hurts your brain. It damages you. So no, I did not take care of my body. I broke my arm three times. I still won two of the times. Uh, one time to a split decision loss. You know, I did just my retinas. I broke my wrist uh, afterwards. So no, I did not take care of my body. I didn't stretch. Uh, I, I didn't 
I just did what I needed to do to get absolutely amazing. And my conditioning was beyond par. Like the, my heart rate variability. So what is that? Like when you breathe in, your heart goes up because, you know, it lowers pressure and it has, it has this feedback system. And when you breathe out, your heart rate goes down with me. It was extremely apparent. The doctor was like, what is this? Because I was such a, a beast, a training beast. Mm. And then, you know, the thing is then, then you give up the rest. The only thing I had is I was also really, and that was that saved me a bit. I also was really interested in psychology in and more, more specifically the psychology of performance and of well-being. Those two things were really interesting to me. Yes, I, I studied a lot about therapy and, and, co- and therapeutic models to, to help people with psychological problems. However, my focus was how can I use this to help people go from average to exceptional. But actually, I was doing it for myself. Most of the times I was training and then as a professional fighter, you do get paid to rest. So most people play video games or something else. I was studying all the time. So I have like this entire library of 12 years of study. And after that, of course, I continued my study and I still did. The last four months, I really went really deep into refinement of the, the cutting edge techniques that can help us to, you know, that. But long story short, the, the, the key is that I did it all wrong. And, you know, it takes a very strong per, I mean, I'm sure you were, you were strong during the times that you, uh, you fought, but it takes a strong person to admit that. So knowing what you know now, the experiences that you have, how do you coach your athletes now? How do you help athletes prepare for their biggest fights, for their biggest moments? What are some things that you've learned from your past that you can help people not repeat now? Well, the first thing is to start everything with intention. Start your day with intention, go to sleep with intention, start your training with intention. Don't just train. No, say, okay, this training, I want to focus on this specific thing. So this helps you to focus and helps you to evolve faster. Then you can use visualization, but not like in the secret where you have to visualize everything going perfect, and that's how it is. That's important. That's one thing because it's inspiring. But then real life is a bit different. Real life will challenge you. And even if you're spiritual, real life will give you the chances to give you the opportunity for growth. So what you need to do is you need to do contingency planning. You have to, based on your opponent or based on, you know, on the team that you're facing, you have to really see, okay, what are their strengths? What are their go-to moves? Are they pretty stable in those things? Or is there, are there a few jokers, like, like jokers that do things that are unexpected? And then based on that, you can make a plan of what could go wrong and how you can how you can overcome those obstacles. That is the main key in how mental preparation can make you perform and flow and stay into flow because very often people get into flow then something unexpected happens and then they lose it all but if you in, in before already know acknowledge that there are several things that could go wrong and there could be things that that they do that you don't predict but if you know this in advance if you prepare mentally you will still be into the flow 
because you you trigger your mind to be flexible. That's the one thing. Second thing is what keeps us from getting to peak performance. Well, first thing is it's what is called fusion, where you completely fuse with certain stories in your mind. And that can even be, I have to train really hard. That was the story I had. I have to kill my body, destroy my body in order to get to the success. My mind was unbreakable, but my body was not. And I see this a lot also. I also work with entrepreneurs and with, with the executives uh, and with CEOs also. And I see the same thing, that same mentality. And now they, now they have their 17 Ferraris. And they sacrifice everything. But now when they engage with a partner, they're like an, they're almost like an, a teenager because they never developed that kind of growth. Because there was 90 to 95% of the times they were focused on winning. And so to me, and, and I see it in business a lot for sure in America, people work crazy hours, 80, 90, 100 hours, perhaps more. And so they are literally surfing their way to the top. And I believe this is a problem in Western culture, where we believe that to become successful, we have to suffer. But if I, if you are suffering your way to the top, in my eyes, you are losing. That does not mean that you will not face stress. Oh, you will face stress, but you don't have to suffer. That doesn't mean that you will have no setbacks. Oh, you will have setbacks. That doesn't mean you have will have conflict. Absolutely. But stress, setbacks and conflict can be or a source of pain or a source of absolute growth. And if you look at somebody like Goggins, enjoyment in the process. And that is it. How can you interpret everything? How do you approach all those things? How do you define yourself? Now, again, I, I really watch out for people that work with me because they already have this a little bit. They love to, to suffer, the grind, I can do that. That's their identity. But at the same time, we have to notice, slow down, do nothing for a moment. And that is one of the hardest things. And now you go sit there on that chair and you're not going to do anything for three minutes. They hate it. Because then, when they're not running away in action, when they're not running away in performance, all of a sudden, all the shit that they try to cover with, with achievements comes up. And so that's why it's draining them. So very often people, people that are exceptionally successful, you have two kinds. You have one kind that had, was very lucky, that had a lot of love, that learned that exploration and creation is beautiful. And so you can see it. And, and, and you can see it. You see it in the twinkle in their eyes. Take, for example, uh, Branson from Virgin Airlines. When you see him, he has so many billion-dollar companies. He's shining. He's just playing. He has no problems cutting off things because he's not identified with a specific thing. He's identified with the joy of creating powerful businesses, helping people to live their lives. That's a beautiful example. Other people, you look at them and they're, they're suffering. What's the difference? Well, very often people are suffering their way to the top and that's why they, 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 they believe the, the story that 
to become happy or to allow yourself to be happy, you have to become successful. So they wait for the next goal. But the problem is, it's inspired from a dark, I always call it the black hole in your heart. Very often it comes from a, from a childhood or, or where your parents all gave you conditional love. So you only got attention when you perform. So you learn that you have to perform at best. Or it's even worse. And you never got confirmation. No matter how hard you tried. And so for those people there are two options. One option is that people give up. Go into addiction and all things. But then the other option is that people say, hey, wait a minute. And that's what many of my clients. I don't need anybody. I will validate myself. The big problem with this is that the need for validation, whether it is from others or from yourself, is a empty hole. It's a bottomless pit. No matter how much you put in, no. Again, that's why I call it the black hole in your heart because the more so you have this black hole and it's hurtful and you don't want to look at it, you don't want to feel it, you don't want to experience it. So you put some dopamine-driven achievements on top. But the problem is the black hole eats it all, absorbs it, and what does the black hole do? Then it grows. And so the more you achieve, the more you need. And the problem is you get like a returning, you know, a diminishing return on investment. Because when you do this, the more you achieve, the less satisfying it becomes. It's just like you do coke or not any other addiction. The dopamine system gets, you know, desensitized. Because what they do, they have a goal and be, and instead of enjoying what they have, what they just have achieved and enjoying the people that they have around them, they just go to the next dopamine hunting. The, the problem is that our system works in two phases. The first phase is stress and the pleasure of striving. We focus outside of ourselves towards the future, that thing. And so this adrenaline, it's cortisol, really necessary. Those two stress hormones, without them, we wouldn't get out of bed. So it's not bad. So ideally, we have stress in the morning. So we wake up, we take an ice cold shower, we work out intensely, we take a bit of coffee or some, or some yerba mate, and in that moment, you give your body an extra uh, cortisol level. So you focus and you can get the most difficult tasks out of the day, in the beginning of the day. But then in the afternoon, very often, what then the second system, what we have, is the serotonin oxytocin system where you relax, you recharge, and it's when you have a victory. So that's why it's called the alpha male hormone, serotonin. And what happens with serotonin is that first of all, it calms your nerves. Also, when you have a stressful experience, if you have many victories, you'll be less impacted by this challenge. So you will. So it activates the approach. Uh, structures in your brain, the things that help to approach challenges, to move forward. Now that's interesting because that recharges you completely, you recharge your energies, activates what they call the parasympathetic, the rest and digest system of your body. But again, and what it is, I look at it like this. We used to be hunter-gatherers, going after mammoths. Going after mammoth is really, really challenging. What happens is we get adrenaline, we get cortisol, we get dopamine, and we get endorphins to manage the pain of the hunt. Also, what we get is oxytocin. People don't realize 
oxytocin is a stress hormone, as a functioning stress. Why? Well, when we face a saber-toothed tiger, do you think we can do it alone, all alone? Well, the story of the lone wolf is just stupid. We are wolves. We are not a lone tiger. So we have to work together. That's why when you connect with other people, when you have high stress levels, whether it's your family, your partner, people at work, good friends, your stress levels start to drop because you know you can handle it together. Okay, that's the first system. So then after you win or after you had a good day, a victory doesn't need to be the end victory. A victory can be you acknowledging that you did the things that you will get you the long-term victory. So we have to celebrate every little step because life is not lived at the top. Life is lived in your way up to the top. Learn to enjoy every step. Learn to enjoy the fact that you're doing the things that most people will not do. That's one thing. Then we have that second system. Think back to the hunter-gatherers. We just catched, caught the mammoths. We brought it all the way back to our cave and there, there are these beautiful ladies. There is a fire crackling. There is music. We go around the fire. We tell amazing stories. We laugh. We dance. We make sweet, sweet love. We eat. That is the normal, natural way. But when you're obsessed with achievement, when you need to win, no matter how much you earn, you wake up with that pressure on your chest, that not in your stomach, that urgency, that anxiousness, Anxiousness, that little voice in, in your ear that says, Hey, you have to get going. Get out of your bed, you lazy man. Because before you know it, man or woman, you can lose it all. And then everybody will see that you are a loser. And then what happens then? Then you come to a success point where you can't go any higher. In that moment, we have a problem. Because then there's nowhere to go. And it still feel like shit. Now what? That's why you very often see people with high, just after the highest success, they have a world deep depression, a real dopamine drop, a real depression, or they kill themselves. It, it it's unfortunate, and you know, and, and you're absolutely correct in regard to the Western world how we have put such a such an amount of of value on that person who who is married to their job, that person who has to get to the top, that person who will sacrifice family time, relationships to get another promotion or to become a, a CEO. And one thing that you, of uh, the many things you, you, you coach and, and talk about is the relationships that we have and how important they are. And that could be our, uh, you know, our, our, our marriage, that could be our friends, that could be our families, that could be our kids, um, that could be a platonic relationship, that could be a sexual relationship. But those are so important to that happiness piece. Why are those relationships so important? Because we're social animals. If we would be alone in the wild, 99.99% of people would die. That's how it is. It's evolutionary made like this. And so that's why nature created this entire system that creates attachments. But what a lot of therapists, relationship therapists forget, they talk about attachment theory and how you can be anxious, you know? And I can talk about this a bit later. But there's a second part that's really important. 
a draft, we have forced the draft to for belonging, really powerful, and for attachment. But then we have also the drive for self-determination, to be authentic, to be true to ourselves. Now, so that's very often where I see problems coming. Because we have the idea that we meet somebody, somebody important, it can be a business partner, it can be a partner, but let's say we, we, we meet the love of our lives. And you're wine and she's beer. Why not? And so what happens, you come together and you, okay, certain moment you start to get closer and closer and so you start to put some beer in your wine. She does some wine in her beer. Until you're here, you have lost yourself, you're an us, and you have become a mixture that nobody wants to drink. And so there's no desire anymore. There's no attraction to each other anymore. People think because they feel disconnected. They have a lot of fights or they don't talk. You know, it's more one or the other. They come to a crossroads where if they have to give in anything more, they literally have become the part. And then they say, you have changed. You're not the person anymore that I fell in love with. Yeah, no. So then you have three options when you're here. And this is a very hard option because in that moment, or you separate. And that happens a lot this for sure these days when the social pressure to, to stay together is much lower. So what happens, you go to the next one and then the same thing happens again. Boom. And you start to lean on each other again. The problem is, is when you're leaning on each other, you need each other. That means you need each other, but you don't, then you cannot choose each other. So then, the second option is that you keep here. You, you start to emotionally detach, you both live your lives, and very often we involve a third factor to fulfill our needs. It can be a kid, a child, so you have a triangle, where, for example, the mother very often is over-involved with the child, and the child starts to develop problems because it gets all the pressure of the happiness of the mom, you know, or the mother takes everything out of the hands of the child, and so the child believes that they can, can't do nothing themselves. And then the father becomes really critical. He's the outside factor. But actually what happens is the mom tries to lower her activation, her stress, by being over-involved with the child. The father, the father tries to uh, lower his, his emotional uh, distress by stepping even back and by being angry. So that it's like this, this dysfunctional system that keeps itself in stand. But then what you need to do is then to, to get the child to get better, the mom has to face the facts with the father. Same in business. You very often see it. You have a boss is like a prick. Nobody dares to talk about it. And all of a sudden, the entire uh, department collapses. Why? And the boss has no idea what happened. So what we need to do is we need to be able to do this. To learn to stand on their own two feet. And that's really scary and really hard and really difficult. Because in this way, instead of confronting our partner, we have to start our partner or our business partner or our love partner. We have to start confronting ourselves in the presence of somebody that is there. So very often we have this, or we connect with somebody else, or we connect with ourselves. So we, we, when we feel we lost touch with ourselves, we disconnect with somebody else, and then we connect with ourselves. But that's, that's the, the, the strategy of a child. To be adult, to have an adult relationship, it is it. You stay in the fire, in the crucible. It's like David Schnarch. He's like an amazing author. I'm a big fan. 
not a fan of a lot of people, but he's amazing. And he says it's, it's the crucible approach. It's like, how can you step into this crucible, into this pressure chamber, where you can literally evolve? And he says, a relationship is a people growing machine. It's true. If you learn, take the ability to take that stress, to take that intensity, take those intense emotions, breathe into it, make room for it, and then think, who do I want to be? Choose your communications, choose your behaviors to do that. And I have to be honest, I'm not always able to do that. I know very well how to do it. And very often it happens. But just recently, I was very emotionally involved. There was a little big fallout. Ugh. And now I have to, but I want to face myself not by cutting up. No, I stay into that container with that person. That's a choice. And then you can both start to rise together. And then you can have this pulsation where you don't have to be disconnected. There's like this con- this unbreakable connection that happens. There's a real intimacy because you don't have to put up a mask anymore. You put down the mask. You talk about the elephants in the room so they don't squash you anymore. And you then, then you see yourself like you are. With all the things you like and dislike, but you accept each other. You love each other for who you are. And then you start to appreciate even the differences. You appreciate that they helped you grow. And then you can have this pulsation, almost orgasmic pulsation of coming closer to each other and closer together, but all the time staying connected. And, you know, it, it, hearing you talk, it, it's, it's very... It's very comforting because one of the things you, you speak about a lot is just in the past few minutes is is that identity that people people crave that some sort of identity and that, that probably comes with validation. They want that relationship so they can their identity can, can be their marriage. Their identity can be their you know their relationship. But they're like I am this person because of my job, because of my relation, because of my child. Like you you, you spoke about it. And that is that can be toxic in a way where the child is is gaining bad habits and, and learning the wrong things. And but one thing that I do, I, I love speaking to people who are who are not you know native to the Western world because you're more open about sexual connection and and about sexual health because we are so close and I don't want to generalize all Americans but I I've lived here my entire life so I I feel, I think I can we're so close minded when it comes to that part of our relationships part of our culture but it's such a big important part though it's a huge part and we won't talk about sexual and I I and we can you know, commingle intimacy in there. It's just a small part of intimacy if we really want to get deep into it. But it is a part of intimacy and it is a part of relationships. So why is talking about that and why is having people open up about their sexual health so important to you? Because it's one of the most powerful tools to help people get close to themselves, to get close to each other. Because first of all, it's how you can handle the challenge of life. So... Stay with me in this moment. Like I say, I believe in a high, a full contact life, a life where you open up for all experiences. Now, whether you face a world champion, like I did many times, whether you face a corporate board that tries to take a whole hostile takeover of your company, <laughs> whether you face the most beautiful woman or man in your bed that is ready 
to sleep with you and you haven't had sex in a year or two, that stress level is the same. That ability to relax into that, to stay calm and cool and composed into that activated state, that is the key to peak performance. And people don't, don't understand me right. Performance is not only in sport or in business. No, no. The hardest performance is in relationships. You say, it's not about performance. Yes, it is. Because what is performance? Performance is doing what you choose to do deliberately when it is hard. And there is nothing that is so hard than staying true to yourself. When your partner is pressuring you or somebody else important is pressuring you to compromise so much that you compromise yourself without cutting off connection. Again, very often when people pressuring us, we just cut off and we go away. But the key is to real adult relation, to real intimacy, to love that can surpass everything that most people ever can experience. It's how to, if you stay here in that container with the partner. That's why very often best sex is let's at what age? I have the question. At what age do you think the best sex happens? I think I think most people would say in I'm gonna give you what I think people say. I'm gonna give you my answer. I think people would say in their twenties, I would believe late forties to early fifties. That's what I would believe. Sixties and seventies. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Dirty old grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because in that moment, it is not so much more about the penetration and the performance. It is about exploration, joy, pleasure. I, I, had, a, I had a girlfriend that worked in, in a nursery home, and she came with crazy stories because there were some cameras, like there were, were orgies. It, it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable for people to think about, it, but it's true. But... Why? Because they do not identify, like, you know, they accepted their bodies. Their bodies are, like, you know, flubby. They're not very amazing anymore. And so all the ego starts to fall away. They start to focus on what is important. Well, it's a difference. So what you very often have in the 20s and 30s, you have a desire for sex. And then you have a partner that might trigger that desire for sex even more. Very often when you get a bit older, you desire during sex. It's a very subtle thing. Desire for sex or desire during sex. Because when you have a desire during sex, you desire to feel, to look in their eyes and, and to really be together. Now, that's why very often I advise people to do what I call bare bones tantra. Now, what is bare bones tantra? Well, it is tantra without all the, the mantras and all the incense and all these things you just make your room nice and cozy you look each other in the eyes as much as you can and you're fully present and you start touching each other very slowly so you don't go rah that can have a nice place too rah but let's put that to the side for a moment but then you're going to slow down and you're going to touch each other and you're not going to focus on how she or he reacts no no you're going to focus on how good it feels in your fingers how good it feels in your body and then when you start to expand your awareness, your, your, your focus on your hand, to the rest of your body, to everything you hear, to everything you smell, to everything you see, then you will start to feel your partner in such much a deeper way. That's step one. Step two, when, when you're both completely ready, 
<laughs> you know, in that moment you go inside and then you don't move. You look each other in the eyes, whether she's on top or you're on top. You look each other in the eyes, you breathe slowly together and you kiss, you touch, you caress, you feel each other. And you keep looking each other in the eyes and you don't move for, in the beginning, 15 to 30 minutes. Later, it can be a bit short. Why? Because this allows the vaginal walls of the woman to collapse, to relax, you know? And so very often people say you have to train your pelvic floor, you know, so then she becomes tighter. Yeah, but the problem is if you tense it up, this gets tired, but inside it balloons. The opposite is what you want. You want a relaxed inside entry, and then the vaginal walls can collapse. And that feels literally, literally like a glove. I can tell you it feels fantastic. <laughs> the second thing that happens is that the womb will start to descend and relax. And so many women have problems, they have pain when they have sex through the vaginal, through tense vaginal walls or through a tense uh, uterus. But then when it starts to descend and starts to really relax and you will feel it when you pay attention, she wants to get fucked so hard you have no idea. Because that 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 that's that very primal awakened woman comes out and it can be scary how violent and wild she wants it. You can't go hard enough. But normally a man cannot do that because then he will ejaculate in five seconds. But because you did soaking in pleasure, aha, then your pelvic floor has relaxed too. Your nervous system has become Acclimatized. How do you pronounce acclimatized? Acclimated. Uh, yeah. Acclimated. Yeah. Accl- yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Acclimated mm-hmm. to the juicy warmth mm-hmm. of her pussy. Mm-hmm. And so you will be able to, to do that much more. And then for sure, if you keep breathing deeply and slowly, and you slow down when you feel you get close, then you go from a five minutes quickie to one, two, three hour orgasmic experience and then if you want to take it in one step further you try not to ejaculate and then get an energetic orgasm but that that takes us to a whole other level of, of preparation and things to do but just doing that but i can warn you it can be absolutely scary because when you really keep looking in each other's eyes you will start to look into each other's souls it will feel like that that the intimacy will go so deep all the shit will come up anger sadness shit from the past it is healing. And so that's why I call this full contact intimacy. You have to be really careful. You have to feel ready. You have to be with somebody that you trust. And both know that you can pull up all kinds of shit. Or it can make you feel relaxed. You can't predict how your body is going to react. But when you do this, you learn to relax into that intensity. And after a while, if you do this like for several weeks, you will be able to have intense, extreme pleasure without ejaculating. Or without tensing up. No, you try to keep your muscles as relaxed as possible. And so you're teaching your body to stay, your mind, to stay calm when your body is activated. Now, why is that possible? Well, because we have, when we have adrenaline, when we have like stress, it gets released in our bodies. But because it's a pretty, well, anatomically big, a compound, it can't go to the blood-brain barrier. So then there's a different one that, that releases epinephrine, which is adrenaline released in the brain. But what you can learn, and that's the key to absolute peak performance, whether it's in the bedroom, whether it's in the boardroom, or whether it's in the ring, it is by learning to stay calm, to calm your mind, 
ease your mind while your body is fully activated and to relax the tension in your body. So very often when we have stress, we tense, the, the body gets activated. That's normal. A little bit of tension is good. But then we notice this tension and we get uh, extra tension. It's like we put on this muscular armor and that prevents us from flow. So then we need to learn to relax our muscles, that excess activation, and relax our brain while our body is active. Now this is the key. It's not always easy. It will not always work, but if you do it, and the more you do that, the better it gets. So you can do that both in the bedroom for, for, for entrepreneurs and CEOs. This is really powerful but for all performance. In the bedroom, because you don't only do this, you get fulfilled with a lot of oxytocin, which lowers your stress levels, the baseline of your stress levels. It helps you to, to have a better relationship with your wife or with your husband. You know, and that is that. And then, and then you can also do it by doing sports. Doing sprinting, for example, and then really focus on slowing your breath down while you're sprinting. Or doing what I call silent strength training, where you're lifting heavy weights. You're doing, for example, a deadlift, a bench or a squat, which is the classical ones. You focus on the technique. You have a, a sound-canceling headphones on, and you play no music, and you just focus on creating silent strength. It will make it more difficult in the beginning, but you will learn a different way. You learn the power of decision, of not having to force yourself into overdrive, but just choosing to be strong. Wow. And so many of those things that you just talked about, the... The, the intimacy portion of the sexual encounter, the, you know, just the past thing you just mentioned with the, the silent sprinting or the silent working, like you are inviting people to be uncomfortable. You are inviting people to get out of their comfort zone. You are saying, listen, comfortability is killing you. It's, it's hindering your progress. It's making you less of a person. It's, it's ruining your relationships. And, and it seems like regardless of what you're coaching, whether you're coaching the top level fighter, whether you're coaching a, a couple that's been in, involved for 25 years and they've lost the spark, or whether you're dealing with that father who's lost his family because he's been working 80 hours a week, you are telling them that they have to lose the comfortability and live in uncomfortability for a while to at least make that progress. Is that correct? Well, I, I would use a different word. I don't like should. Because should, I should do this, I right. should do this. I apologize. You're, ab you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't like that word either. So thank you for calling me out on that. I appreciate that. Yes. I don't like that word either. I, I, do, the, I, I do the same. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like it, it, it's so inundated in, in, yeah. in, in, the, in, in the Western yeah. culture. You know? But uh, no, they can choose. They can choose to step into that. And there's a difference with intestines. For example, there's research that's found that when you work out, you get healthier. But if you do the same load when you're in, in a labor, uh, labor camp, the health benefits stay away. It's a mindset. For example, there's a research where there were uh, hotel cleaners. And half of them, in half of the hotels, they gave them a little speech, 15 minutes, about how cleaning is working out. The other one, they just got a general presentation about cleaning. After six or eight weeks, the 
the the person that the, the group that got the mindset intervention, they had lower fat levels, they had better, they had the bed, lower blood pressure, they had lower stress, they enjoyed their work more. Simple interventions about how you interpret things, how you look at things are very powerful. Now, answering your questions, I got distracted a little bit. I want them to choose. I ask them to choose. What do you choose? Do you choose to be comfortable or do you choose to be alive? Because when you try to avoid intensity, when you try to avoid the possibility for pain, when you close yourself down for pain, for stress, for anxiety, you have a you get a life where you care about absolutely nothing. Because why do you stress? Look at it. In the moments that you stress, why are you stressing? Ask yourself, why do I care? And then something beautiful can happen. You can care because it's important to me. I'm why it's important. It's important to me. Be, oh, oh, wait a minute. It's not important to me. It's important to my mom. For example, I, for example, I do not care about too much predictability of my life. My mom does. And so she was freaking out and I was wild. I was starting to freak out too. And then I started to do this practice. And say, oh, this is my mom. And so I had to learn to live with the discomfort of making my mom worried. Because I'm a bit of a wild boy, you know. So it's completely different, you know. But uh, so that's that. And and so so you can choose to open yourself up for the for the possibility of pain, of disappointment, of failure, of stress. But if you do not open up for those possibilities, you cannot open up for love, for deep happiness, for excitement, for pride, for the feeling of victory. So you have the choice. You have the choice. Nobody needs to open up to the pain and intensity. But if you want to feel fully alive, if you want, don't want to be bored, if you don't want to hate your life, to me, this choice is very clear. But to how to do that? Well, that's why I, I worked for my entire life, studied my entire life, and now I'm just working on a, a program that will be launched in probably a month or two months. That does just that. It helps you to take that stress into a competitive advantage. That helps you to... To, to really focus, to become intentional with your time, and that you choose to step into discomfort, not just to do it, but in the service of living a fully lived and productive life. And I and I love it again the giving people that that choice or, or having them know they have a choice because you're absolutely correct. Like you could, if you want to live this way, if you want to be comfortable and just coast. You have every right to do that. You're, you're, you're not saying people don't have the right to do that. They have every right to do that. However, if someone is looking to, to make progress, to live a fuller life, to have full, a better relationships, you know, more fulfilled relationships, then you know, kind of get out of that comfort zone a little bit and, and test yourself. Test the waters. You know, no one's telling you to jump right in immediately, but to mm-hmm. kind of test that, those waters and... and you know, I think this has been a great conversation. Before we shut it down, I definitely, there's something that I want you to talk about. And you've already, you've spoken about how you're a professional fighter. And, and I, I love this this quote from you. And it's, it's, why would a professional fighter go from knocking people out to helping them smile? 
Why, why would you do that? What, what, is, what is your motivation? Why do you want to be this person now? Because that was also the motivation for my fighting. I want to show people how strong you can be. I want to show people that nothing could stop you if you decide to. What people don't realize is that actually I am an addict of connection. That's why I love to give hypnosis because it's one of the fastest ways for me to get into this meditative state. Much faster than breathing meditation, which I still do, but in hypnosis I'm there in a second through that connection. Because through the connection with the other person, I get so close, so much close to myself. But in fighting, there is almost nothing that creates such a pure, primal feeling of connection. Imagine, you are there, ready to go to the ring or the cage. You are with your team. Your trainer is talking to you, slapping your face, shaking you, getting you ready. You're breathing, you're looking in each other's eyes, and you see the man that has helped you to push your boundaries, that helped support you, that challenged you, and that said to you, that happened many times to me, you have to go home because you're overtraining yourself. <laughs> you know, that, that looked out for you. He's also the one that decided that I had to stop fighting because I was fucking on my brain. After my retinal detachments, I was still doing it, but I was getting slower in my mind. Now I've done a lot of healing work with a lot of fasting. I'm fasting at the moment now. It's my second day. I do five, five to seven day fast because I really damaged my brain. And so I now am really dedicated to, to mitigate those effects. But okay, that's to the side. But so you have this deep, extreme connection with your, your training partners and with your coach. Then you hear the mu- your name, the music goes, and you get ready. You step onto that onto that catwalk and you look around the area. Thousands of people are screaming. And what I love the most is they were booing me. I'm like, ha yeah, let's go to war. You see all those people and they're so connected with you, whether they love or hate you. And every step you hear them booing or cheering and it feels so alive. You're there. You have no way to go. It's only you is there. And so you start to walk through that ring. You crawl, you know, I miss it so much. But you crawl into that ring. And there you see, you look around. You see everybody looking at you. You look at the judge. You say, hi, say, this motherfucker better doesn't get into my way. And then it's your opponent. And you look your opponent in the eyes. And you know you both are there to do the same thing. In that moment, you're so extremely deeply connected to this person. You are one. In that moment, there's nothing else. It's just you two, and you're going to battle. There's something very primal, and actually, in my eyes, I don't know why, but very beautiful. It's so close to my heart. It's so close to who I was, who I was born. As a kid, I always was fighting and climbing trees. That's all I did. Soccer was for girls, I thought. Fighting and climbing. But, so that's there you are with that opponent. You're looking in each other's eyes. You want to really destroy each other. You want each other to lay down on the ground. I want to hurt them. Not the individual, but I just want to hurt the opponent. I want to hurt life. I want to punish them for killing my father. So when I was 21, I want to punish them for all the sadness and the things in the world. I want to punish the world. And so I went to work. All in, like Rocky. But in that moment, the deepest connection that you have, through your connection with the public, through your connection with your coach in your corner, 
through your connection with the judge and through the connection with your opponent, you have one of the moments that you are the closest connected with yourself. You cannot hide. It is you and you alone. This is something I truly miss. If I wouldn't have my eyes, I would be still fighting. And But I think my eyes saved my brain. So I think that's a good thing. But I still miss it. And if my eyes would be healed, I probably would fight again. 40 or not. I don't care. And so, the, and, and so I, I miss this. And for a time I was really lost. But now, you know, I can get uh, uh, it a little bit when I speak in front of a crowd. So if you have a, a speaking engagement for me, Please invite me because I love it. The more people, the better. Feel that, feel that anxiety. Woo, nice. Then, deep intimate relationships, whether it's with a friend, with a business partner, with a client, or with my partner. And then dancing because I took that up when I was hurting my ass. I couldn't run, I couldn't lift, I couldn't fight. So I started dancing. And so now I dance often with a partner, salsa bachata, but more, most important, kizomba. African and African part of that is really essential. Love it. <laughs> that that's great to hear. Like I, I something just something just shifted there really slightly. It's just once you started talking about that, like I could tell that has that special place in your heart. Like you are you are a fighter. Like you you are a fighter inside. And and that connection I, I think you may have just opened people up to a, a real part of your life where you mentioned all the connections, the fans, the judge, the coaches, the opponent, every connection, which is obvious. But the most important one was that person that's that's there with, that's you. It's you. It's that connection. I think that's very powerful. So I I appreciate you you talking about that. So how can people find out more about you online? How do they get in contact with you online? How do they just learn more about Nico online? Well, you can go to uh, Instagram, Nico underscore Vresm, only one underscore because I have a few fakers that are imitating. If I find you, I will destroy you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that you can do that. You can do Nico Vresm on, on Facebook uh, and, I, and then on LinkedIn too, uh, Nico Vresm. You can also go to my website nicovresen.org and there there's like a there's a, a masterclass where you can learn how to turn stress into your competitive advantage. If there will be something wrong, please just contact me and I will send you the data itself. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, and so at the moment I have a f- only a few more openings for some for some coaching clients and three more for individuals, and I'm gonna start a group program which makes it a bit more affordable for everybody. Because, you know, with all my experience and all my knowledge and my masters, I'm not the cheapest in the business, but I know what I'm and, doing. Hey, you're, wor- you're <laughs> worth it. You're worth it. Like, make sure exactly. you, you, you price it. We, exactly. Everybody listening, you are, if you get the experience, you get the knowledge, you make sure you price it correctly. Like, nothing, exactly. you, you need to you know your worth. So, Nico, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation and i'll be honest with you like i'm I'm glad that the audience has has been able to listen to you but but i've learned a lot today i really have learned a lot and i appreciate you being vulnerable talking about your story um i look forward to reading more on you and and, and hearing a lot more about you but thank you so much for being a part of the show you take care of yourself and have a great rest of your day okay thank you
Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I am your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AMRun to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.